The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, Martin Luther, the great reformer, referred to Psalm 130 as a Pauline psalm. Pauline, as a, a, a psalm, it's, it's a psalm that is, is almost as if it was authored by the Apostle Paul, which of course we know not to be true. Paul hadn't been born quite, quite, quite yet. Uh, but, but he called it a Pauline psalm because of its emphasis in teaching on the forgiveness of sins. And in fact, Psalm 130 is one of the psalms that we call the penitential psalms. Penitential psalms. It's, it's a song and a psalm about sin, and, and more than that, about the forgiveness of sin. It's, it's a psalm about God's grace. And so for, for sinful people like you and me, this, this psalm, Psalm 130, is a place of great refuge. I, I read in, in one place that Luther, while he was hiding out somewhere out of fear for his life, he, he learned that his father had passed away. And while spending some time studying and writing on the heels of this news, I can only assume, um, Luther sank into a depression and suffered from some intense migraines. One night while he was studying and writing, he actually passed out in the middle of one of these migraines. And and of course, I, I, I assume that friends, maybe even family, surrounded him. And as he came to at least this is how the story is told. As he came to, he said these words to those who were with him. Come, let us sing Psalm 130 out of derision for the devil. Now this, this word derision means contemptuous ridicule or mockery. Come, let us sing Psalm 130 out of mockery and ridicule for the devil. Now, that's, that's certainly not where the psalm begins, is it? In fact, in the opening verses, we hear the psalmist cry out from the pit of despair in helplessness. Perhaps he himself heard the mockery and the ridicule of the devil himself. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, but the psalmist begins in a, a low place. But then the psalm builds It builds and it builds verse by verse until we arrive at the final two verses where we see the psalmist almost burst burst at the seams with a a hope-filled confidence and praise. And this progression, it, it takes place in four stages. First, the psalmist turns to the Lord crying out to him from this this low place out of the depths from this place of despair. Next, we see that the psalmist confesses before the Lord. The psalmist turns, he confesses, and then we see that the psalmist waits. Waits. But he waits with a sense of of eagerness, a, a sense of eager anticipation before he finally arrives at the summit, the peak of the psalm, the climax, when he proclaims to all Israel his hope-filled confidence 
in the Lord. This psalm begins as an individual song, an individual psalm, and then becomes a collective, a corporate psalm as he exhorts the entire body of God's people. And so this morning, we're going to end on a high, I assure you, at the end of this psalm. But first, we need to start low. And this is so often. The, this is so often the trajectory that the Lord takes us on, isn't it? Before we get to the high place, the Lord oftentimes brings us through the valleys. And so let's take a look at the, the, the psalmist in his valley in verses 1 and 2 as he turns to the Lord and cries out. So the, the psalmist begins with his cry to the Lord, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And it's, it's clear that the psalmist is in some kind of distress. He says, out of the depths. This might bring to mind, if you are uh, somewhat familiar with the scriptures, it might bring to mind Jonah in the book that goes by the same name, Jonah chapter 2. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is, is a prophet who's running away from God. The exact opposite thing that, that, that we want to see a prophet of God do. And he's running away from God, running away from God's presence. And after a, a series of events unfolds, he's thrown overboard from a ship into the sea. And as he's sinking down to the depths, to the bottom of the sea, we see that it's, it's from this watery tomb that Jonah finally cries out to the Lord out of the depths. And our psalmist, he's, he's in a similar place. He's much like Jonah. He's, he's drowning. He's not sinking to the bottom of the sea, but he's drowning nonetheless. He's crying out to the Lord for help, for mercy, because he's drowning in despair. He, he cries out to the Lord out of the depths of his own sin. You see, the, the adversary, the, the reason for the despair in this psalm isn't some external enemy. The reason for his despair is looking at him right in the mirror. It's a sin, his own sinfulness. He's, he's guilty, and he knows it. He, he feels it, the, the weight of it, the, the burden of it, the, the angst of it, the, the misery of it. And he's drowning in it. Now, I expect that there are uh, some here today who uh, might find themselves in a, a very similar place. Look, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. And, and while you're not a Christian, you don't need anyone to tell you that you're a sinner, that you've made mistakes because... You're well aware. And like the psalmist, you, you, you feel this almost inexplicable weight and burden of the guilt of your sin. You, you feel its heft. And you want relief. You want rescue. And, and though you've looked in a lot of different places. You just haven't been able to find it. And somehow, 
some way, maybe through the invitation of someone else who sits in the room, here you sit and you're drowning. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've allowed or you've seen your devotional life flatline and grow cold. Maybe you find yourself walking an ongoing sin of some sort. And, and so far, so far you made a calculated decision to keep it a secret, to keep it to yourself. And you've told yourself that you're going to tell someone eventually. You're just going to kind of get it under control first. Right? So you've been, you've been hiding, hiding from community, hiding from brothers and sisters around you, hiding from friends. You know that God sees everything. Your theology is good enough to know that. And yet, much like Jonah, who also knew the right answers, you find yourself hiding from God as well. And the feeling of guilt is growing palpable. It's, it's like the psalmist writes in Psalm 32. You, your strength is sapped as in the heat of summer. It's heavy. And you're sitting here this morning, and you too, you're desperate for relief. Let me tell you, if this is you here today, this psalm has loads of hope to offer you. Loads of hope to offer you. And the hope begins with this. Remember, there's a progression. There's a journey. But the hope begins with this. That the Lord hears those who cry out to Him for mercy in faith. The, the Lord hears those who cry out to Him out of the depths of their own sin in faith. Even you, when you find yourself in the depths of your own sin, this, this means that you can cry out to Him. You don't have to hide from Him. You don't have to, to shirk away from His presence. In fact, you can draw near to Him, knowing that He sees you, knowing that He hears you. You see, Psalm 130, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for all of us to come out of hiding, to come out of our hiding places. It's an invitation to stop taking matters into your own hands. It's an invitation to stop looking for relief from the guilt of your sin and things that can't possibly deliver it, things that might numb that sense of guilt for a while, but, but ultimately don't provide long-lasting relief. It's, it's an invitation to, to turn to the Lord and cry out to Him, knowing that He is a God who saves, who rescues those who trust Him from the depths of their own sin. That's what we have in Psalm 130. It's a psalm of hope. And this is exactly what the psalmist does. He turns to the Lord and cries out to him. Verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And as we'll see, even in the next couple of verses, there is little doubt in the psalmist's mind that the Lord hears his voice. Don't mistake verse 2 in his his cry to the Lord to hear his words, to incline his ears to his cry, don't, 
Don't mistake that for doubt. The Lord is, there's little, the, the, the psalmist, there's little doubt in his mind that the Lord hears his voice and that the Lord's ears will be attentive to his pleas for mercy. And so, as he turns to the Lord then, he confesses. There are two things in particular that, that the psalmist confesses. The first thing that he confesses is his sin. Verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If the Lord, the perfect, the holy, the righteous God, infinite in glory and majesty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, everywhere present, the unchanging, eternally existent, perfectly just, perfectly good, in the most unimaginably pure sense of the word, if, if this God were to count our sins and to hold them against us, which of us could stand? It's a rhetorical question with an obvious answer. Who could stand? None of us could stand. Like just, just think about what Jesus said about the law of God. He, a, a religious leader came to him and, and asked what, what, the, what the greatest law was. And, and as he's engaging in dialogue, Jesus summarizes the entire law and the prophets in two commands. The, the, the first is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Which of us sitting here right now hasn't broken each one of these countless times already this morning? Both, by the way, by what we've done and by what we've failed to do, those things that we've left undone. Or, or, let me ask the same question positively, which of us have kept these perfectly? Even as you sit here right now, listening to the Word of God preached and proclaimed, I wonder if you're, if you're loving God perfectly with your soul with your mind, with your strength. God's word tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the psalmist, he knows it and he acknowledges it before God. He confesses that he can't stand before a just God. He can't stand before a righteous God. He has no case to plead. He knows that he would crumple under the weight of his own sin and his own guilt. This is why he finds himself in the depths. There's a, there's a tension that's been building over the first three verses of the psalm. The psalmist cries out to the Lord out of the depths of his own sin. He's, he's guilty again. He knows it. He knows it that he can't possibly stand before the Lord. So he makes pleas for mercy. And then 
we come to verse 4 as this tension has been building. We come to verse 4, which finally releases attention and introduces the psalmist's reason for hope. He says, but. Again, I think I say this maybe every other sermon. But is such a glorious word when we read it in the Bible. Especially when we hear the psalmist say things like, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With the Lord there is forgiveness of sins. You see, he removes our sins from us. Psalm 103 tells us, As far as the east is from the west. Infinitely far. He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We, we saw these words repeated in Psalm 100 of our, of, of our call to worship. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The Lord tells us by way of, of the prophet Isaiah, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, the hope of the despairing sinner who because of his guilt can't even stand before the holy God is that with God there is forgiveness of sins. That's why we sit here today. Forgiveness freely offered through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our, our wrath-quenching propitiation. Now, remember, I, I said that the psalmist acknowledges or confesses two things. The, the first thing that he confesses is his sin, but he, he confesses a, a, a second thing. And the second thing that he confesses here in these two verses is the one and only source of this forgiveness. Look carefully at what verse 4 says. It says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Forgiveness is freely offered and yet forgiveness isn't found just anywhere. That's also why we sit here this morning. There aren't multiple paths to forgiveness. Our world would tell you that that's true, but with the psalmist, I, I must confess this morning that all paths don't lead to forgiveness. There aren't multiple sources of it. And so if, if you sit here today and you've been, you've been exploring various paths and you found yourself coming up empty, I might propose that this is why. Maybe you've not looked at the, at the sole source of forgiveness. You see, it's, it's not found by looking to one's self. Forgiveness isn't found through self-forgiveness. Self-forgiveness can assuage our gift or our, our guilt before God. Culture can't give it to you. Voices on social media can't offer you forgiveness. As a pastor, 
I can't give it to you. Pop psychology and self-help can't offer it. Look, not even the passing of time brings with it forgiveness. Not even the not even the passing of time. The, the psalmist says, with you, with the Lord, there is forgiveness. Full stop. Full stop. This is why the psalmist can end the verse with the words, that you may be feared, which, which is kind of a, like a curious thing to say. After saying, with you there is forgiveness of sins, I wouldn't expect him then to follow that up with a statement about fear. But this is why he says that you may be feared. Because to receive forgiveness from God is to confess that he is in fact God. To receive forgiveness from God for law breaking is to confess that he is the law giver. It's to confess that there is a standard and that he is the setter of said standard. It's to confess with the psalmist your guilt before God. It's to confess that he alone can pardon the guilty sinner. It's to put yourself completely at the mercy of a God who, listen to this, would be completely righteous and justified were he to destroy you and me by casting us into the fires of eternal judgment. And yet, and yet, who offers forgiveness freely to those who trust him for it. This is incredible news of hope. This is, I think, why Luther wakes up from his stupor and says, this, this psalm, this is, this is a psalm that we can mock Satan himself with. And that brings us then to the next two verses where we see that the psalmist waits. These next two verses, kind of like the, uh, that you may be feared, I think these next two verses are, are, are really interesting as well. Listen, listen to these again. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Three times he repeats that word, wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord. There's, there's an intensity here, an, an, an eagerness in the psalmist as he waits. There's a, there's a yearning here. There's a, a longing here. And then there's a, a picture that, that he even uses in verse 6 to illustrate the yearning and the longing. My soul waits for the Lord. It's, it's like the, the watchman 
waiting for the morning. In fact, it's, it's more than the watchman waiting for the morning. The, the, the picture is of a, of, a, of a watchman pulling third shift, watching and standing guard over the city. And what is the watchman watching for as he stands guard? He's waiting. Eagerly for that that first ever so slight hint of the morning dawn coming over the horizon. In fact, the watchman, he's the first one to see it. That's a beautiful picture. The question is, what's going on here? What does this have to do with the rest of the psalm? Well, one pastor, Josh Moody, who's a pastor in a church in Wheaton, Illinois, he observes this, and I think he's on to something. He asks, why is he like a watchman, a guard in the middle of the night hoping for morning? Guilt is about the past. Think about it. Think about your guilt Guilt doesn't cause you to to look towards the future, does it? The guilt, your your guilt, it, it entrenches you in the past. So he says guilt is about the past. If you find someone who's stuck in the past, chances are what lies beneath. Guilt lies beneath. Redemption is about the future. Just last night, my wife Kaylee and I, we went to her class reunion, and it reminded me of, of my last class reunion and the conversations I had with, with classmates of mine where their smile kind of dropped off their face and they started talking about the past. And not fondly, but they started talking about all the mistakes that they've made over the past 10, 20 years. That's guilt. It's guilt. With the assurance of the forgiveness of sins in verse 4, here's what we see happening now with the psalmist. With the assurance of the forgiveness of sins in verse 4, the, the psalmist has shifted his gauge from one that is directed toward the past and the depths of his sin and guilt toward the future, which brings with it the sure hope of forgiveness and redemption. You see, the sun always rises. And so for the waiting watchman, it's just, it, it, it's not a matter of if the morning will come, but when. It's not a matter of if forgiveness will come, it's just a matter of when. And this truth is, is changed and transformed the watchman's and the psalmist's entire perspective. No longer is he gazing toward the past, but now he eagerly looks toward the future, waiting for that first morning light, knowing that it will come. He's gone from despairing in the depths to a hope-filled anticipation of the future. But I think there's more than that happening here. I think there's more than this. Why specifically 
Might, this, might the, the watchman be waiting and watching for the morning? Well, it's, it's in the morning that the priests in the temple would begin their sacrifices for the day. Verse 5 is clear. Uh, the psalmist says, in his word, I hope. And so as he sets his, his, his gaze on the eastern sky, on the eastern horizon, his hope is rooted in the word of God. And in the morning, according to the word of God, sacrifices would commence once again. We could go to Leviticus chapters 4 and 5 and we would see all kinds of sin offerings that promise atonement for sin and forgiveness for sin. In the morning, the, the night watchman would be able to bring his sacrifice to the temple according to God's word and hear confirmation once again according to God's word that atonement had been made and his sin had been forgiven. This, I think, is why he longs for the morning. With a, a hope-filled longing, not looking back at his sin and guilt, but forward towards forgiveness, forward toward redemption, because he longs for assurance of his forgiveness. And so he longs to hear the words, your sin is forgiven. Words that he will hear when the sacrifices commence once again. And look, don't, don't we all yearn for this? Don't we all yearn and long to be assured of God's forgiveness? Don't we all long and yearn to be assured of our Father's love, to know deep in our souls, in the recesses of our souls, that there is still grace and mercy available for us today, that we haven't exhausted it that we haven't squandered it all, that we haven't disqualified ourselves from it. Maybe I've exhausted His mercy today. Maybe I've broken or step out, stepped outside the bounds of His plan for my redemption. And look, if, if that's you, remember the watchman. Remember the watchman. He doesn't look to the west, chasing after the night, focused on the guilt of his sin. Lamentations 3 reminds us this, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but they are new every morning. Every morning when that sun rises, it's a reminder to you and to me that there are new, fresh mercies available to us as God's people. Great is your faithfulness. The watchman, he looks to the east knowing that just as the sun rises, the mercies of the Lord are new and fresh for him that day. Two pillars. I think there's even more. In these two verses, verses five and six, I think there's even more than that because, you know, the, the, because the watchman, he wasn't just anticipating the morning dawn and the day's first sacrifices. You see, the, the Lord had made great promises to Israel 
The Lord had made great promises to God's people, promises of a full and final redemption. He, he made promises of a greater forgiveness. We read about these promises in Jeremiah 31, for example. The prophet records, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke in their sin. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall no, and, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then this, this is a promise. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. God's people were waiting for, they were anticipating a promise. A greater promise, a better promise, a fuller, more final promise. And so the watchman, as he fixes his gaze to the east, waiting for the morning to dawn, he's waiting for the Lord's promised redemption to come. He's waiting, full of sure hope for the Lord's promised Redeemer. Brothers and sisters, he's waiting for the sacrifice of all sacrifices. He's waiting for the day when the sacrifices no longer need to commence after day's first light. And the watchman knows that the sun always rises. And so for the waiting watchman, it's not a matter of if morning will come. It's a matter of when morning will come. Two pillars. We know. We know that the morning has come. Every priest stands daily at his service Hebrews 10, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which begin in the morning, which the watchman is anticipating. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's a really interesting thing for the writer of Hebrews to say, that sacrifices given by the the priests in the temple, that they can't take away sins. Elsewhere, the writer of Hebrews says that the, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, 
For after saying, this is a covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. Do these words sound familiar? And write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. There's no more waiting for the morning sacrifices to commence. There's no more waiting for the promised Redeemer to come. You see, morning has dawned and the Redeemer has come. And with Him, there is forgiveness of sins. And so what is there left then for us to do? What is there left for the psalmist to do? To to explode with praise. And to tell everyone who has ears, everyone who will listen. Oh, Israel, he says, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Hope in the Lord, he says. Again, this this transitions from being a very personal, a very individual psalm to being a corporate, a collective psalm. He's preached the gospel to himself, and now he turns to his brothers and sisters in the congregation, and he preaches the gospel to them as well. Hope in the Lord. Set your faith and your trust and your confidence in the Lord. And so non-Christian, are you in the depths right now? Do you feel the weight and the burden of your guilt and sin? I actually hope so. I hope that you feel the weight. And I wonder if you want relief. I really hope so. I really hope that you want relief. I wonder if you want to be rescued. I really hope so. Forgiveness, relief, rescue, redemption. It's available to you today. Hope in the Lord. Hope, hope in Christ Jesus as your Redeemer. Christian, are you in the depths? Are you overwhelmed by the burden of your own sin? Maybe you're persisting in sin sin of some sort. And like we said before, you've decided to keep this a secret. You're, You're hiding from man and from God. And the feeling of the guilt, the weight of the guilt, it's it's palpable, it's it's heavy. And you're desperate. For relief, brothers and sisters, hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because with Him, there is steadfast love. With Him, there is redemption. And in fact, if you belong to Him, it's already yours. You just need to be reminded of it this morning. And look, not just some redemption. Not just a little redemption, not just enough redemption. There's plentiful redemption, abundant, overflowing, never to be exhausted redemption. 
There are no supply chain issues with God's grace. Non-Christian, the offer is on the table. It's, it's right there, freely yours. You need, you need only take hold of it by faith in the person and work of Christ the Redeemer. And Christian, again, hope in Jesus. If, if you've trusted in him already, then this plentiful redemption is yours. It never stopped being yours. And so hope in it and walk in it. Look, this is, this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every week. It serves for us to be a reminder. It's, it's a reminder of His steadfast love. As we see this illustration of His body broken for us, of His blood poured out for us, it's, it's a reminder that His redemption is it's plentiful. Again, I know we have little portion cups which don't help the illustration. But his, his redemption, it isn't carefully portioned out for us. It's, it's plentiful, it's abundant, it's, it's overflowing. It's a reminder that, that it's sin, it covers all. I don't know what baggage or what sin or what guilt or what shame you bring with you into the room today, but his, his forgiveness, it covers all of it. It's a reminder that he will redeem you from your iniquities, not partially, but fully. Not, not from some of your iniquities, but from all of your iniquities. And it, it's, it's a celebration that we get to have together that with Jesus there is forgiveness of sins. It's a celebration that a new day has dawned and that it brings with us today fresh mercies. And so with that, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, we took the cup, saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And look, we are gazing to a horizon. We are looking to a new horizon. Not the, the horizon of the first coming of the Redeemer, but the horizon of the second coming, his final coming. On that day, that wonderful day, that new day, when all things will be made new, and sin will no longer be a problem that you and I will ever have to deal with again. The depths out of which the psalmist and you and I cry out to the Lord will be erased, washed away. And so, Brothers and sisters, come forward to this table waiting for that day, more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning, waiting in hope, knowing that the sun will rise again. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, 
please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.